Hello and welcome to your agenda for the 10th of April 2023. I'm going to lay it out there. This is the second time we've recorded this opening because I forgot to hit the record button the first time. But we're going to pretend that we're bringing all this gold in uh, instantaneous. Alan, Edgar is here as always. He's your stalwart. I'm your host, Graham McKay, and we're joined by Colin Kearney sitting in for Kieran Devlin. Let's go to you uh, first, Alan. How was your Easter weekend? No, it was lovely, mate. It was great. Um, I think we all shared one thing in common around Saturday lunchtime. Um, so that was that was excellent and set it off nicely. So nice weekend. Otherwise, happy Easter uh, to both you boys and everyone listening. And we got, uh, Colin, the weekend started basically by beating Rangers. It ended with Robbie Nielsen losing his job. I mean, it's, it's like Colin uh, couldn't make Easter weekends. How was yours? It was great. It's almost like uh, we we wrote our own ideal Easter weekend. Uh, no, lovely time. Really laid back. Uh, normally, we sort of have a sort of big family get together on Easter weekend, but it wasn't possible because people are away. We did it like the previous weekend. So me and Tara just kind of like basically hung out um, and uh, Tara's just bought Stardew Valley on the Switch and is, uh, and is heavy addicted. So, um, yeah. I've just been having to make more dinner and stuff. It's been really difficult. <laughs> but she's growing you fruit and vegetables in the game. So, I mean, <laughs> yeah. I, I put 100 hours into that in the PC and then got it on the Switch and put another 100 hours into it. It's a very... Oh, 100 game. hours? Don't tell me that now. Oh, my God. Yeah, At least I'm going to lose some weight. <laughs> <laughs> tell her cranberries, cranberries and blueberries are the way forward. She'll know what that means. Okay. <laughs> I love how uh, us writing our own Easter weekend still involves Jesus dying uh, and resurrecting. I think that's a kind of like gallows humour that uh, the Celtic fans have. So we we have uh, the agenda starting today on your Monday. We're recording the re- review tonight. I can't I can't tell you what's going to be on it uh, because I haven't opened the document that uh, Christian has sent me yet. He has told me there's 48 images in it. Uh, I think it's going to be. Arthur John Johnson slander. So uh, if you don't if you don't want to hear that, then the review is not going to be for you tonight. Uh, he takes away everything we love. Uh, Wednesday we have the biscuit tin. I think it's going to be with uh, Martin and Ian Dugan joining the biscuit tin for this season. Uh, Thursday we have the Senate Weekly, of course. Friday we have the weekend update. Saturday we have the social, and Sunday we will have the reaction to the commandment game. We. I'm going to mostly focus on what happened at the weekend. Obviously, we're, we're going to go into detail on the tactical aspect of it tonight uh, on the review. But first of all, Alan, you've 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 listened to the reaction with uh, Bowden Clare on on uh, Saturday. I imagine what did what what was your kind of uh, instant reaction to the game? What what do you think about it now? What how how do you sit when it comes to that that derby at the weekend? Um, yeah, I've watched the game back um, on Saturday night after being in the pub a few hours, so then gave it a rewatch yesterday so that I could see it, um, I suppose. Um, and I, I think just overjoyed that. I think you've cemented a league title on Saturday, um, a second consecutive title under Ange. Um, even a draw would have probably been enough as well. I think I had said most of the week before, don't lose the game. Um, and I don't think we played particularly well. I think there was a lot of valid points made on the reaction. But all you had to do was make sure you didn't lose and you went one better one better, um, and won the game. Some nice moments in it. I think 
I was a little bit surprised with Rangers' approach overall. Um, I think they'll be happy that they stopped Celtic playing in a lot of ways, but I think it's almost like they ignored the context of the game mm. and kind of forgot that it started at nil-nil and they had to take an advantage and maybe show a little bit more initiative. So I don't think um, I don't think we, we certainly weren't at our best, but some really real moments of quality from. Um, Kyogo um, capitalising on mistakes and certainly did enough to to see it over the line in the end but um, job done title one and I think now it's really just going to be about seeing it out and then obviously with a kind of half eye in that Scottish Cup semi-final as well but that's a long time away and I think it's important that the players try and enjoy it in the meantime so it was great a great weekend great atmosphere on Saturday absolutely loved it one of the special occasions at Celtic Park and um, I still drinking it in to be honest Colin, what about yourself? What was your context of watching the game? How did you feel about it afterwards? I, I watched it with my my brother um, over at his, and these are uh, I'm, the last time I was going over watching games with him was uh, cha- our last Champions League run. So his wife Carla was like saying, "Colin, you know, if uh, we don't win today, uh, it's all you're because you're bad juju." <laughs> um, so I felt like a little bit under pressure myself, you know, to to bring home the win. Um, but yeah, it, it was uh, delighted as as Alan says. I I, I think we were n- very nervous looking. Um, it feel uh, I really felt that like there was a lot of kind of misplaced passes and p- just too many players being a wee bit off it. But um, we still managed to uh, grind out a result. And I think what my main takeaway from it, I think, is it's about mindsets of teams. And if you've seen like with all the fallout. And as you, as Alan was kind of suggesting there, there's this idea that um, they got a disallowed goal and uh, sort of brooded on it, and and then it's all about rationalising why they didn't win, et cetera, et cetera. Where I feel that we have generally proved to have a mindset of uh, we just take care of what we can take care of, and that's why we don't huff and puff about referee decisions, VAR decisions. Uh, you know, it's very, very rare that um, Ange Postecoglou will say anything uh, along those lines, and I think that's maybe a winner's mentality. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> I think I think that was my main takeaway from the whole thing. I I was away as Alan knows. I was away in Bertesgarden for the weekend, and uh, we had the kind of last cabin in the campsite, and it meant that the uh, Wi-Fi was like half a bar. Sometimes and most of the time, no bar at all. Um, so I ended up having to use my, my my phone as a hotspot, connecting to the Amazon Fire Stick to watch the game, and it was pretty uh, traumatic. Thinking that uh, at any time the game could could drop out, uh, but there were some parts of the game that I was hoping that the game would drop out. But uh, other than that, uh, Alan Bertha's Garden, big with me, big with you, big with uh, Mr. Adolf Hitler. It's it's a popular place. Uh, what, wow. what are your <laughs> what what are your memories of Bertha's Garden? Um, well, that region's been good to us because um, I was in Salzburg last year, which is just a short drive away. When we won at Ibrox, so I think it's fair to say that the the hills were alive with well, I'd imagine about quality for the sound of Republican music. Um, I would imagine Graham, but no, it was uh, it's, it's a lovely part of the world, a nice wee place to watch um, a game as well. No proper Irish bar to watch a Celtic game in, though, which was the only disappointing thing. They didn't open early enough in Salzburg to show a 12 mm. o'clock kickoff last year. 
don't know what the people of Salzburg are doing on a Sunday up until you know four o'clock, but that's what time the, the bars opened at there, which that's absolutely no use to man or beast. Let themselves down now. Let themselves down. Sounds okay. like a business opportunity for someone, if you ask me. Correct. <laughs> uh, just just a pub called the the Rebs that opens at eight o'clock in the morning. That's all, that's all we need. I came back to my father-in-law's birthday, so I don't think I've ever heard the words Celtic Glasgow spoken so much in my life because that's the way Europeans, that's what Europeans call us. And yeah, Celtic Glasgow was the talk of the town yesterday for going 12 points clear. But according to Todd Cantwell, Alan, He's, he's you, you've 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 told me he's retracted this a little bit, but uh, according to himself, he didn't win the derby, and uh, in fact, Rangers lost it. I can't be too critical of him because that's basically what I've been saying about the two titles that Martin O'Neill lost. Uh, we uh, McLeish didn't win them; Celtic kind of lost them. What, what did you make of these comments? Is it just a case of him? I mean, they've got two derbies left. Is it a case of them trying to keep their morale up for these two derbies, or what did what did you make of it? Rationalise it how you like, quite frankly. Um, you lost the game. Um, I, like I said at the start, I was probably not surprised with how Rangers set up, but if you were going into a must-win game, you would think that you would maybe try and take a little bit more initiative. Um, my seat at Celtic Park is way, way high up on the Jockstein stand, almost dead centre. And Rangers' game plan was, I think, to try and tempt both Celtic centre-halves into making a mistake, to try and thread a pass through that they were showing and I think the centre-halves that we've talked a lot about their, their ability passing out I think they actually showed good discipline not to try too hard and not to press not to push through those passes not to try and punch something through that Rangers wanted and I think if you look at it Rangers the spells in the game where they were they maybe think that they were on top a point's been they're behind in the game it's all well and good saying you know we played well for 10 minutes when you're 2-3-1 down but at, at nothing each, at one each, the initiative is on you to then go and win that game. That's the only way that the title, I think, would have been in jeopardy. As a friend, if we were sitting here today and Rangers had won, we would be talking about the split. When would we be going to Ibrooks? When would we be going away to Tynecastle? But we're not. And the reason for that is because we won the game. And I, I, I get it that they'll think that they played well, that they think they tried to shut Celtic out, but they had very, very few chances in the game. Um, so rationalise it how you like Celtic didn't win it, we lost it but we don't care uh, and if it's if, if it's the same in the 30th that Rangers play really badly or don't take their chances or whatever it is, they want to rationalise it and talk about next season we're in, what is it, April the April the 10th today and we're hearing Rangers talking about a game in three weeks time and also Michael Beale talking about how many players he's going to sign in the summer and that just highlights where they're at, they've been talking about that now for three, four weeks because out of a title race and that's absolutely fine by me because we're not looking ahead to next season yet because there's still hopefully a lot more to enjoy this year so I had a wee chuckle at it I seen that he's said on Twitter now that actually it's not a dig and he respects his opponents I think it's like a lot of things Rangers seem to do a hell of a lot of talking and they're maybe a wee bit too frank either on social media and post-match interviews but it gives us um, it gives us a wee smile when you get the three points tucked away in your top pocket so it's all the better for it they are the type of team where you just, if you were a fan, you'd be like raging at them just to stop talking because it must be infuriating. He actually says in that article, "This is a project." Um, Colin, what do you what do you think? The and I I don't want you 
I don't want you to be going into the mindset of a Rangers fan because that's a, that's a dangerous place to go. But what do you th- if if it was a Celtic player saying this is a project, what would you feel about that after a, a Derby defeat? First of all, thank you for not making me a uh, mind hunter uh, <laughs> uh, for the Rangers mentality. Um, yeah, I think it's for 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 a team that are so kind of hot on the, this idea of respect and. Uh, sport and integrity and whatnot. I think, um, yeah, I mean, a project is building a shed in the back garden and on the holiday weekend. It's not um, your job that you're getting paid uh, ridiculous amounts of money to lose. I mean, uh, I, I, I just I find the whole thing bizarre. It would drive me crazy if if uh, our players were were talking like this. Um, I think it's much better to keep your powder dry. They're just they are just writing. Like they're just they're just writing inspirational speeches for the next time we play them, and my only regret is that we didn't get to see the wonderful choreographed uh, celebration that we'd have seen uh, from Cantwell and Tillman that they were planning uh, for when they scored all their goals. Um, and what we actually got in the end, uh, I, anecdotally, a friend of mine was at the game. He texted me yesterday saying that like the best part was um, when. Uh, Tavernier scored the second goal. Morelos tried to like wind up the crowd and celebrate, and somebody threw a pie at him. So, and he picked <laughs> good, it up and ate it. Uh, well, good, 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 good uh, foresight and planning on the pie thrower. That's all I say. <laughs> I, I mean, I think that's one of those things that you instantly, unless you hit them, unless you hit him in the face, I think you instantly regret that throwing the pie away, don't you, Alan? Oh, absolutely. I did. Um, we were rewatching the game Saturday night just in the house here, and. We were having a joke when obviously the the dramatic call of the day when um, Kevin Clancy gave the foul early on. And we did kind of have a wee joke that Alistair Johnson, you could imagine him thinking he's got Morelos, kind of like a cartoon, he got a wee salt and pepper set and a wee knife and fork in his back. It potentially, he was just going to have a right good um, go eating Alistair Johnson. So you could see his alarm was understandable. I think the 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 biggest regret I've seen from a Celtic fan was at Leipzig this season uh, when they scored, Leipzig scored and they get chalked off for VAR, the guy beside us threw his pint up in there and it landed in my mate uh-huh. basically and then Joe Hart passed to the Leipzig player I mean, um, just... You were at that game as well and you know that there was nothing in the world that was getting me to throw a pint that uh, <laughs> it, it took about 30 minutes to queue for. A 2.5% beer, a 3.5% beer. There was nothing in the world that was making me throw that away. No, I was double fisting at that stage. I was just getting two at a time. I mean, it had to be done. It, we So one of the, you know, looking back at the first half of the game, one of the things that frustrated me, and I, I said this to a mate, was that the kind of the triangle, as I call it, between uh, two centre backs and a goalkeeper, they were playing the hits. As far as I was concerned, the hits that the things that they were not great at. Alan, what what do you think? Was it something that Rangers were doing that was causing this? But we really seemed CCV was making. Obviously, there's aspects of CCV's game that we we know is not great playing out from the back, but. He seemed really kind of there was a nervousness about him in this game that was uncharacteristic. What would you think was causing that? I think you can. I think you have to look at how Rangers set up in the game. Um, did what a lot of teams have done at City Park. They probably just executed it a lot better. Um, they had a man on Cal McGregor most times, um, not directly on him, but just shutting off any passes into him. So they almost made them redundant for the first twenty thirty minutes. 
And I think what they tried to do was was give enough of a window that maybe a top-level defender could feed passes through, but it was risky. And I think both Carol Staffel and Cameron Carter-Vickers seen those windows and opted against them. Um, and I think, to be honest, I would back that because, I mean, there was a lot of frustration in the stadium that they weren't passing the ball out quicker to either Taylor or finding O'Reilly or Moy inside. But what Rangers were doing was intentionally showing them a very, very, very narrow window to which they could pass through and almost saying to them, give it a try. You might get it, but we're going to try and shut it off. And I think you've seen it with Cantwell, Kent, Tillman. They were just trying to block that off. Um, and I think they actually understand the, the criticism of them passing out. But what they need to be careful of is not to fall into that trap. And I think that's what Rangers tried to do. I think they were banking on them almost getting frustrated and trying to thread a pass through and then breaking and then catching Celtic on the break. And really, it, it didn't come. I think there was one in the second half where Cameron Carter-Vickers tried to play a, play a pass through and um, it went to a Rangers player. Beyond that, I think they did well not to become, not to feel that tension from the crowd um, and play to their own strength. So I think they'll probably get criticism and you'll probably imagine you'll hear a lot of it, more about that later tonight. I think as well, Matt O'Reilly and Aaron Moy probably could have done a lot more to get themselves into the spot a little bit earlier and try and make those passes a little bit more achievable um, and try and help them out a little bit. So I don't think it's exclusively on them. And I think Rangers' tactical setup did make it difficult. But again, the dynamic of the game was that we didn't probably have to push too hard. We didn't have to go and go all guns blazing. So knocking it side to side, whilst it might be frustrating and the stadium um, certainly felt that frustration, a little bit of patience, um, play it out a little bit and then wait. And I think you did see it a couple of times where that happened. Rangers either jumped, McGregor caught them out on that, or actually we played through and, and kind of changed it up a little bit. But it definitely was difficult for us. Obviously, Rio Hattati's a loss, but you've got to look at the guys who come in. You need to work a little bit harder to get into those spaces earlier, swap the positions with the fullback and make it more difficult for those guys that are trying to shut it off. Make it harder for them to do that and make their task a little bit harder. So there's plenty that can be done better, I think, ahead of the 30th. This doesn't feel like... Um, 2020 or 2021, where actually Rangers have figured Celtic out. It feels a long way away from that, to be honest. It's just a case of execution, I think. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things growing up, uh, obviously in the Tommy Burns era, we we made ourselves feel better a lot of times by saying that Rangers are not that great and we, we were the better team in the derbies and stuff like that. And I think Rangers fans are probably falling into that kind of that kind of trap at the moment, Colin. Uh, overall, we, I think we doubled our XG. We had the better chances. We were the, oh, clearly the better team. But there will be something there. There will be a kernel of hope for them to kind of uh, hold on to for the cup final, uh, the cup semi final. It's better the cup final. I've just drank the whole thing. We're going to get beaten in the final for the second division team. Um, mm-hmm. What What do you think when it comes? when it comes to their kind of like development, because I always fear, I've mentioned this in the podcast before, seeing the same team so many times, the way we've seen Rangers this season, we're going to see them two more times. 
it, they will adapt and start to think about ways in which they can just cut off certain aspects of our game. I was actually quite surprised when they didn't do a Ross County and just leave the, the centre-backs to, to, to play as much as possible. What do you think when it comes to playing them again? Do you think there's, there's going to be something for them to hold on to? Do you think they're going to, there's going to be some aspect of this game that they're going to try and develop for the next one? Well, I, I think they always there's always kind of this thing, if we had different squad selection, this would have gone differently, et cetera, et cetera. Um, um, so I, 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 I think the layperson would be sort of, I don't know. I mean, I don't know who, who you'd bring in now because, I mean, they were complaining about injuries and now I think they only have, I mean, their injury list is quite small now and they've played all their players and it's they've not affected any difference. Um, even their captain is reiterating the same kind of tired, like, G-up propaganda that, you know, we're going to see the Rio Rangers. No, we're never going to see the Rio Rangers again in the same final. And uh, I think the 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 fact, like, going back to what Alan was saying about the centre-backs not kind of almost playing into the kind of the traps of their press, um, all it takes is one sort of uh, misstep. I mean, I think that this is the thing, like, they were saying, oh, we would, um, I think Bill said something about the mistakes were genuine and honest. Uh, I don't know what that means. I mean, uh, but I think that we were waiting for those mistakes. We were causing those mistakes. We were making Morelos like run about like so much. He was absolutely blown out of his arse by uh, the second half. And uh, when we did get, when we did break the lines, I mean, it was uh, McGregor did an unbelievable one of his just like big gallivanting runs as soon as he got like a, a through ball, uh, and their um, their lack of effort. Uh, I, I mean, I think I think this wore them out, and I think I mean not to jump ahead too much, but um, the our third goal, the Jota goal, um, the genuine and honest mistake made by Suter uh, with his LLAZ back pass. He doesn't even try and recover. Mm. He he makes this terrible back pass and he's just going at jogging speed and he, and he accelerates after Jota has already hit the ball, like towards the goal. And it's just like, that's embarrassing, man. You haven't had a start for it. You know, like you'd be, yeah. And McGregor, uh, Alan McGregor's, um, I think he tried harder to stop that. You know, that free goal they gave to Partick Mm. Uh, and he kind of was like, "Oh, oh, get it. He, he tried hard to stop that, and he, he tried to stop Jota. So um, I, I don't really know if they have a tactical uh, like ace up their sleeves or a player that they can suddenly, you know, we've we had Raskin, we had Cantwell starting. Uh, I didn't think they were particularly impressive, um, and I'm not like a tactical guy, but I particularly, and I'm sure Christian will will. will will pull us up for uh, for my ignorance, but I, I, I just don't see what else they can do. And I don't think they have us figured out. And I think that we we have the patience and we have the skill. We can grind them out and we can also blow them away. I think they're, I think they're overdue a blown away, to be honest. This ingenuous mistake sounds like such a fantastic emo band. <laughs> when you start it. I, so sometimes when it comes to Twitter, it can make you laugh out loud and someone comparing Alan McGregor to Captain Tom running about his garden, which is honestly, that made my day. Alan, you wanted to come in? Yeah, I just think, just on the, the point Colin was making, just about this notion that it's all about, you take the learnings from this game and you just directly apply it to the next game. I think that's entirely... Ingenuous. I, I, 
I think for all that we were critical of Celtic under, you know, the, um, the 10 season, I think the one thing you never do is, is you take it and say, right, OK, there was an incremental improvement in this game. Therefore, we'll apply that to the next game. And then if we lose that one, what we'll then do is, is say, right, we'll take the learnings from both of those games. and we'll, You don't get that many bites at the cherry. Um, and I think the narrative around Rangers incremental improvement, which, and there has been an improvement, the results against everyone else except us have been obviously, um, well, flawless. But you don't get that many bites at it. If it's two games against us to, to narrow a lead and the, the, they drew one of them at home and, and they lost what was a must-win game at the weekend, there's nothing to say that they, they, could, they could perform the way they did at Celtic Park at Hamden, maybe even perform better with a bit more cutting edge and an actual threat up top. And, and they could quite comfortably lose the game, as Colin says as well. It's not it's not a linear journey of improvement, and it's not a case of we'll do that plus a little bit extra, and that'll be enough. I think we I think we were really really poor at the weekend, and we we came out of it as you say, Graham, statistically on top. The result was on top. It's it's not about being complacent. I don't go into this game in the thirtieth thinking we'll definitely win it. We could easily go and lose that game because you know that that's just the nature of it. But the idea that Rangers' incremental improvement will just continue to be this kind of arc that goes upwards, I just don't think it fits. And for me, if it was Celtic and it was a Celtic manager after this amount of games with no real glove being laid on this Celtic team to then say that the gap isn't that big and it just it doesn't add up, I suppose. But then maybe they do what I did largely when Neil Lennon did post-match interviews and, ju- and just tune out entirely because there's nothing to be taken from it. But I just this idea that it's a linear journey, I would expect us to improve a hell of a lot going into that, that game at Hamden um, because I think there was a lot of performances that were below par at the weekend from us. Yeah, I mean, you you almost parroted exactly what Tavernier said. He, he was quoted as saying that uh, oh, wow. we take the positives out of this game and apply ourselves in the same way with a bit more. And I think, Colin, that just relies on the fact that Celtic would stay exactly where they were. Like, if they want to do this incremental improvement, it, it, it requires Celtic to stay on some kind of level. And that's just not realistic when it comes to, especially a, a cup semi-final at, at Hamden. It's not going to be like that. Um, what, what what would you like to see from Celtic in the next game as it done differently? Is there anything you want to see them do differently in the next game against them? I'd like to see them believe in themselves because I mean I I know we're we're given some credit for the you know this uh, maybe we were stifled a little bit, but I feel that there was nerves and like not just kind of like first five ten minute nerves, which you know like is understandable and you see quite often. I felt that. Um, there were certain, I think for the most part, uh, and I don't really, you know, I always kind of hate that sort of cliche about pass marks or whatever, as if we could do any better. But um, I feel that there was very few players really putting in a good performance on Saturday. And I think there was nervy and slightly, I think, uh, I mean, Adam Moy uh, certainly had, uh, came in for a bit of criticism. I think he's somebody that maybe needs to play like him coming out from the cold we saw it when he first came in he was a bit sluggish he was a wee bit off it and he seemed exactly the same way he did in the first couple of weeks when everybody thought he was the worst signing in the world um I just think that uh that combined with the nerves of it and the, the some of the sort of shonky passing so I'd like to see it like we've we, we, we we've proven now uh you know again and again that we can beat them no matter what they try so they just need to believe in that and uh play the football and just 
you know, like really, because I, I feel as well that they kind of, I mean, uh, we'll probably get to the refereeing, um, but I feel that with all the kind of noise around certain decisions and all the rest of it, we almost kind of have to play a perfect game to not have any of this blowback and this constant media, like attritional uh, clickbait nonsense that we get. Mm. Um, so, and I think that that, that, you know, obviously there's no such thing as a perfect game, but I think that we, you know, like Saturday was not to quote, Everybody in the cynic in the last couple of weeks, not at our sparkling best. So let's see our sparkling best. Let's see, let's see the champagne of this team. Let's just like and really just close out and just make sure we're in the best place to to pick up the treble and um hopefully have a nice kind of quiet summer. Well, I, I was telling myself I wasn't going to talk about uh, Aaron Moy because obviously it gets so much criticism on the re- review, which I host, and it's mostly uh, Christian uh, talking about his uh, faults. Uh, but Alan, that first half, I think he improved in the f- the fifty minutes of the second half. But that first half was like my my comparison was uh, Seri Yanko in Israel. That, it was almost as if he'd forgotten how to play football. Is that a case of a, an older player being out for a couple of weeks, needing time to get back up, or was it something Rangers? That, I think Raskin was 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 on Moy from mo- most of the first half. Uh, was it a case of him not just not expecting what what he was coming up against, or was it just a uh, frustiness? What, what did you what did you think of his first half performance in particular? I think the the element of being rusty, I think you give an allowance for that. It's a full half though, where you do struggle to execute at any point is more than rustiness. Um, I think, I think what Aaron Moy could have been doing with with was instead a number of times what he tried to do was play the pass into Jota and play it into his feet. And Rangers just stepped up and Barisic actually stepped up as opposed to stepping off. And I think just that may be a little bit of awareness that you maybe just need to take a touch and hold the ball in and drop it back off as opposed to being the, the player that progresses the ball. He had a really, really poor game. Um, and the rewatch um, of the game on Sunday, I, I wasn't any kinder to him, to be honest. You know, So there's, there's no real crumb of comfort there. Um, he's a player, I think you've seen the standard that he can compete to and I, I wouldn't have any hesitation about um, you know, picking him for the weekend or you know, even picking him for the game in the 30th as well. Um, he had a really poor game, didn't execute at all and the second half kind of didn't start any better um, after he potentially could have been a player that you would look at and say, you know, after what Awata had done the weekend before, more fit, um, probably a player that gets around a lot more, very tidy with his passing, it wouldn't have been an unreasonable substitute to make. Um, so not great, but I, I don't really think um, I don't think you can really say much more than it's just a performance that you look at. It, it's that hasn't been the level that he's kind of played at throughout the year. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if, if Christian and his wisdom tonight decided that actually he had a very good game. Um, <laughs> that might be the kind of tactic Christian takes, but I'll tune in tomorrow to hear how good Aaron Moy was and how bad Alistair Johnson was. That will be my that's my <laughs> prediction for your evening. Then there you go. Uh, Colin, one one of the things that there was a nervousness about the game for me, like um, when when Rangers got the free kick that they equalised from, um, I actually texted a friend saying I, I just wrote Tav uh, Tav territory and I went to the toilet to piss 
because I thought this is a goal. This is going to be a goal. And the only reason I, I knew, knew it was a goal was I, I got a, my phone, my watch vibrated saying jinx on it. Uh, like it was a message saying jinx. And I was like, oh, fuck, they've actually equalised from this. We seemed to lack control. Even when Iwata came on, even when we were a 3 1 up, a 3 1 up, it felt as if the, the game felt as if it was like a wild animal that we just didn't have any control of. And like we, we could win it 4 5 1, or we could we could concede the loads of goals. Why do you think there was a lack of control about the game? I think that kind of febrile, as I was saying earlier, the nervousness that normally dissipates, this febrile atmosphere continued through the entire game. Um, I think always losing a goal just before halftime is always a massive bummer, <laughs> to be honest. Um, and maybe that kind of got got in our heads a little bit. Um, and when we went three one up, my brother was like, "Oh, well, that's good. So we can just enjoy the night. We can have seventeen minutes that we can enjoy." And then we didn't even have that. So um, I think one thing we can be accused of sometimes and. Also, we kind of get away with it because of the level of competition we face most of the time. But our game management can be a wee bit, uh, you know, when we need to shut the doors and um, not have that nervy. I mean, like if they'd, if Barisic had um, done what Tavenier done and the, the free kick, which is the last kick of the ball, we could have been sitting here talking about a draw, which wouldn't have been the worst thing in the world, but um, it would have been completely undeserved. And considering how the narrative seems to be uh, we were shite, they were great, um, they lost it, we didn't win it. Um, if we got a draw, just imagine how terrible <laughs> we'd be feeling right now. So um, I think there's something to be considered about game management, about um, maybe not... Uh, just kind of being cavalier. I mean, I, I haven't watched the whole game back. I watched the highlights. So, I mean, again, I'm sort of still thinking about it through those kind of raw emotions of watching it live on the day. Um, but I feel that, you know, especially with, you know, like we're just not rolling the dice when we need to roll the dice, not controlling it when we need to control it. Burnaby's chance towards the end, um, there, there seemed to be like, Ange would say, let's go and close this out let's attack, attack, attack. Burnaby had this in and nobody was supporting him. So, but, you know, there's you need that support. Even if you're going to take it to the corner, you still need support. And I thought it was weird that we were just hanging back and we just let him have a go at it. So, um, yeah, I think I think this is something that we need to look at and especially going forward when we're looking forward to uh, European football, um, how do we manage to get these wins when we're playing better opposition and um, if we take our chance we seem to be taking more of our chances we were really ruining a lot of missed chances in, in the Champions League uh, last time around and I think that we've got a bit more clinical but now we need to sort of understand the game state towards the end of games a bit better Alan what, what do you make of that that, that concept of control when like, seeing games out what, what do you think was missing uh, from or control of the game? Uh, a bit of shape, maybe. Um, I wasn't nuts on Kyogo and O on the park at the same time. I was. I, I thought Kyogo was exceptional. I think he was hard done by not to get man of the match because he had the real moments of quality in the game. But I was happy to see him go off because it just wasn't working at that point. And it was a point in the game when um, McGregor and Iwata is the two. 
just I, I thought they both actually did very well. I thought Cal McGregor in the second half was an extremely disciplined performance, but he needed a little bit of help in there. And Awata, as you see, Graham was tidy. I think he gave the ball away once, but beyond that, he was quite um, he was quite effective. But they were they were a man short, um, so I was kind of glad to see that. I think if you're maybe going to look at it and be critical, I think you would maybe say the personnel at times um, the, the was maybe the changes were just done as opposed to that raft of changes that sorted everything and made the change at one time. It was done in a, a little bit more piecemeal. Um, and I think the irony of the Burnaby situation and him going through is that I think he was actually brought on to probably shore it up, yet he found himself in a position where he you know, should really put his foot through the ball. Um, but I think he was brought on to give Greg Taylor, who looked like he was struggling pretty badly from very early on in the game um, with his fitness, who did very well to last the full game, I think. I think he was just on to maybe give him a bit of protection um, because, again, Aksavanovic on the other side, to I know we've got a wee question about, um, was probably not given that protection. So it did feel a little bit like it was just a little bit piecemeal. Players maybe buying into it a little bit much and seeing it as an opportunity to maybe go and get that 4-5-1, when actually I think it would have been nice to keep the ball, not give anything stupid away, which is exactly what we've done. And I think if there is one alarming takeaway from the weekend, it was the way we defended set pieces from any area of the park. That is something you're going to have to tidy up on. We gave away a really, really cheap goal, and then it kind of threw the last 10, 15 minutes of the game into flux. But the one thing I would, again, go back to, I think you touched on, Graham. if you're a Rangers fan... What what chance are you pointing to in the game that you didn't take that would have changed it? Um, I, I get that they scored very early on and it was chopped off. Morelos has a chance. I think you're clutching at straws a little bit if you're thinking about a free kick in the last minute that came from nothing. That's not an opportunity that you've carved out. You've not cut through the centre-halves at any point. Everything's in front. And I just think for a team that had to go and win the game, i seen a team there that was waiting to pounce on mistakes. Fair enough, they're strong at set-pieces. Beyond that, there's nothing there. Um, you know, I think Rangers going to that game in the 30th with the same issue up top as they had coming into this game. Who do you play? Who is going to actually threaten the two centre-halves except from dead dead balls and, and set pieces? So um, I think they are in largely the same position they were on Friday night, to be honest. Or, or Michael Beale, maybe specifically, is more in the same troubled position as to who to play up front on the 30th as he was on Friday night. And that just rolls on to the next one. But, you know, fourth time lucky, I guess. I, there's not been a Rangers manager who's made my skin crawl as much as Michael Beale when he speaks. I, I just can't. I have to put the TV off when I hear him. It's, it's bizarre. Uh, stick me, sticking with you, Alan. Just uh, on you were talking about the shape there, um, mm-hmm. and at one point we seemed to have gone to four two four, which was a bizarre yeah. formation to be trying to see a game out, especially against Rangers. Do you think it was a lack of trust in David Turnbull? They didn't turn to him right away. Instead, went to up front. It felt as if, for example, if Atati had started and we were bringing maybe Matt O'Reilly off the bench or Aaron Moy off the bench, we'd have quickly gone to we'd have swapped more like for like. Yeah. Do you think that says anything about uh, David Turnbull that he wasn't the, the first to kind of come off? Hey, come on. Well, I don't think it. I wouldn't see it necessarily as a. It's not a vote of confidence, is it? That you know, a player who's played as much football as he has. I think the the yellow card situation of midfielders, I think it's something that everybody flagged up. And I would maybe, if you want to be a little bit more positive about it, I would say there was a real vote of confidence in Matt O'Reilly um, to be able to control himself in the game. 
Um, I think when Moy got himself booked, I think he was uh, clearly going to be brought off very quickly. But as you say, you could have probably changed David Turnbull and Awata and you could have kept the same system. I do wonder if Ange felt that given the way Rangers were setting up, if he did try and counter against what they were doing by actually being a little bit more aggressive and seeing if he could change what they did. Um, that's the only thing that maybe jumps out a little bit because I'm presuming that we went to a 4-4-2 and actually the two guys that we had on just decided to play really high up and Kyogo probably should have been playing a little bit deeper. Um, but it didn't really look that way, as you see. It did look like a very aggressive, you know, go and get more goals. Um, but I wouldn't take it as too much of a criticism in Turnbull. I think that the changes were just done a little bit piecemeal. And I think what I'd have preferred to see is maybe those sweeping changes a little bit earlier on. But Ange did look like he wanted to stick a little bit more with his starters for a wee bit longer, despite the fact that obviously we had three bookings in the middle of the park as well as CCD, which um, was a little bit alarming for me, given the rate at which Kevin Clancy was bringing out cards, um, you know, for fairly innocuous fills. I think the CCD one early on as well just jumped out at me a little bit. A wee bit early about producing cards, but as a um, minute or something, was it? Yeah, just a fairly innocuous foul. Um, but as Alistair Johnson says, he thinks the rest had a good game, so that's okay. <laughs> so we have um, a question about uh, Kevin Clancy, and I think it's from Paul Gibson. Let me just try and find it. He was, uh, first of all, I mean, I think that the thing that really, really, I really love about the the Kevin Clancy being in charge is that Rangers fans already think that he is a Celtic fan. I think there's, I, I don't know if it's like a rumours that he works at a Catholic school or something like that, but they, they, they think that he's a Tim. So uh, Paul Gibson says, the officials were off on Saturday, gave goal kicks which were blatantly corners, offside against cool goal, which which was clearly missed, missed a penalty in the O, missed shot pulling in the box at corners, booked Matt O'Reilly, which was ridiculous, but missed Raskin lead with his forehead lowered. It is quite a big forehead, to be honest, so I don't know how you can miss that. And they come together with Kalmak and Miss Barisic grabbing Haxa by the neck, uh, which we were speaking about uh, before the, the podcast, Alan. It looked as if Barisic tried to be all the big man and then turned it into kind of we're mates, we're from the Balkans kind of situation. So they're, they're sneaky. They're always sneaky. So does the panel give one single solitary fuck or are they still pushing themselves uh, pissing themselves, la- laughing at the rage from the other mob. What, what did you think of the officiating overall? Well, obviously, we don't want to spend too much time talking about refs, um, Colin, but what did, what did you make of uh, the refs, the, the lines, and then the VAR uh, for, from the, the game that we can? Yeah, it's... Uh, I think it's just so tiresome that we're constantly having this quibbling like after the game. I mean, I think that uh, the some of the decisions were very weird um i think that i think it's odd that they think that you know father clancy has given us all this stuff i mean he was given a lot of very very soft fouls um which was basically their game plan so i mean he's he he's reinforcing what they wanted to do in the game which was get fouls get dead balls get balls into the box um as for the kugel being offside i think he was offside but i don't understand why the isn't isn't like the best practice guidelines of VAR that you don't you know like you let the the you know, the game flow get mm. to the end of the conclusion of the attack and then you then you signal the offside and that so if a goal goes in which it did then it can get checked by VAR. Um, so I, yeah, even though I think it probably was offside, 
why are we doing this? Um, I think that the Morelos, uh, Elsa Johnson thing, I mean, I think it's, I think it is super soft, uh, but you can push somebody in the box. And as we have seen with like countless decisions, I mean, was it the the Kilmarnock game that they, the the Rangers Kilmarnock game where like they got a penalty for uh, a guy like having literally literally two Mm. fingers pulling his shirt? Livingston. Um, You know, like you, you know, you are getting these decisions week in, week out. And, um, because there's so much noise constantly, which seems to, I mean, I hate the whole kind of, because I think we've talked about this before on the agenda about this kind of, um, we almost feel like apologetic for when we get things, you know, we're so beaten that like, you know, like, oh, just, you know, like, you know, like, um, you know, like we're constantly being accused of all this and we're just kind of like, and we're so, I think we're so reasonable. We're like, you know, our fans are like, well, you know what? Um, but on the other ha- on the other side, it's just pure rabid um, blue tinted glasses, and um, it just it. I I can't find. I know some people find this really funny, and like revel in it. And there's a lot. Of, there's a lot of kind of uh, social media kind of accounts which seem to live off this kind of uh, behavior. But for me, I find it psychologically quite draining. Um, and that's why I love that uh, currently we are very much like we concentrate on what we do because I mean that's what I care about ultimately um, and I don't think I think refereeing has had a terrible weekend I mean look, I mean, it's, let's take it out of Scottish football terms for a minute I mean the, the English Premiership had an absolute clusterfuck of res- refereeing nonsense over the weekend Did the linesman not elbow Andy Robertson in the throw or something did I see that headline yeah yeah he did and uh but the, the best thing about that was Roy King just like he's a big baby <laughs> it's just like it's just like a really really no time for Robertson at all um <laughs> no I mean there was some bananas decisions and um like when you see have things like Mitrovic getting banned for how many games because of a slight push of a referee and then you have linesman elbowing players in the throat and yada 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 um so refereeing needs to improve it's not all VAR's fault uh, I'm really really tired of constant post-mortems and the fact that as I was saying earlier it's almost like we need to play a perfect game with no fouls no controversy so we can actually just sort of have people admit we're the best the Mitrovic one annoyed the hell out of me just because I wanted to be in the ref shoes because Alan, Colin, you're the same generation growing up with Kalina as a, as a ref. Like, I would have just been right in Mitrovic's <laughs> face, basically saying, get me in the fucking car park. Like, the fact he was backing down just annoyed me so much. Uh, Alan, Tavernier's been in the papers doubling down on the fact that Jota apparently handled the ball for, for a second. I mean, uh, looking at the, the the images, his his arm is basically it looks as if he's trying to cover his balls to not get hit in the ball with, and uh, the the their captain is basically saying that that goal should be chopped off. Clancy, I mean, Rangers fans always had the thing about Willie Collum beating an RE teacher in a Catholic school, but that didn't stop him giving them a penalty with his back turned to it. Uh, what, what what do you make of this kind of stuff? I mean, for me, they can never complain about refs until they have a Josh Cadet at Ibrooks moment where a goal is dropped off for actual no reason. So what, what did you I make think, of that? I think it's a little bit of FOMO 
on um, Rangers' behalf. They <laughs> see everyone else getting fucked over by referees and feel like they want to be a part of it. Um, I, I don't think VR. I think you can take VR out of it. I don't think there was anything at all at the weekend for VR to get involved in. Um, the incident in the first half. Um, oh, sorry for Morelos for the the goal that was disallowed. Um, his two hands on him and he, and he shoves him. You can call it soft if you like, but it is a foul. And with the view the referee's got, AJ sells it. I don't have any. Well, I, I don't think. I don't think anybody that matters is going to be listening to this and thinking, "Oh well, you can't say that." AJ sells it, but that's exactly what you do. He gets himself into a. He gets himself into a bad position. Um, but Morelos has got two hands on him and shoves him. He did it at the cup final and they get away with it. He's not getting away with it this time. He might feel hard done by, but next time, just don't don't put two hands on a defender when the referee's looking right at you. He's got an unobstructed view on it and he gives it. VR can do nothing about that there. The only um route out of that is to say that well he didn't put much power into the push, but how do you how do you prove that on a replay? So AJ sells it well, I think he does well, but we need to tidy up defensively in set pieces. And I think what Paul um says is is correct. I thought Clancy did a really, really poor game. Do you know what it looked like? It, it, it looked to me at the game like his concentration wasn't there. And I know it sounds bizarre to say that about a referee, but when the ball was, when it was at the kind of tail end of a move, and, you know, for example, the one where it goes out for the corner, but he gives a goal kick, it looks as if he switches off because he thinks, right, it's goal kick, we're moving on. And there was a lot of incidents like that. He just, and I actually quite liked it. Um, and this kind of maybe just a wee, a wee additional point just off the back of the, watching it and being at the game. I think the players started to notice that the referee was going to just try and let the game go. And I think what they then, what you sometimes you have to do in the park is you just need to protect yourself. McGregor did it and Kyogo did it. I think the biggest cheer that I gave in the day wasn't for a Celtic goal, it was for Kyogo just leaving one on Ben Davis because he'd done the same thing to him a moment before. I've said this so many times this pod about top class players. They've had it all their career with people just trying to bully them and be stronger than them. Kyogo, probably since the age of six or seven, has been one of the best talents. He's had players all over the world just trying to think, right, what I'm going to do is a stick one on him here and see if he fancies it. What Kyogo kind of showed two minutes later was that I can just give it out as, as much as I can take it. Um, and I loved it. Honestly, it got me off my seat. I nearly jumped about 10 feet in the air. It's, I thought he was exceptional. And that was just another wee side to his game. And then a wee touch of class, but just picking him up after it. You okay, big man? <laughs> maybe maybe hit the gym, you can be a wee bit stronger next time. Um, and it, it looked to unsettle him. So I loved it. I thought it was great. And I, I thought the referee was poor, but just looked like inconsistencies. But there was nothing whatsoever at the weekend for VAR to really get involved in. Um, there was no, I don't think there was any red card incidents. There was nothing that it needed to really get involved for. So it was actually quite pleasant being at the stadium. Um, obviously, we had the kind of checks post goals, which is normal. But, you know, there was nothing else that... I think for either team that VR really could get involved in, so it was um, positive from that point of view. I loved uh, Kyogo's look after the foul, the retribution. It was like butter wouldn't melt. It was just it looked so innocent. It was how you do it. Yeah. If he acts differently after that, he gets a booking. If he Aye. walks away, kind of swagging away, he gets a booking. But if Aye. he goes along and just makes it, oh, I was running too fast and I, sorry, I didn't manage to stop, even though I've been doing this all year and I managed to stop perfectly in time, so I don't get booked. It was brilliant and. It's a side of the game that people think he's not got, but he's had that all his career. Guys, bigger guys trying to bully him and look where he is. Double in the game, real quality in the game, and he's got that to it as well. So, um, player of the year, just give it to him today. Just give him player of the year today. I think the way he, he 
holds himself for the rest of the 90 minutes, really kind of stops. It probably creates an image in referees' heads of him. The fact that he's like patting people when they're down injured, that kind of calling that, the image that he creates for himself allows him to do this kind of thing without probably punishment. Yeah, and hopefully it's a little bit that we think the little off-ball digs at our players, especially Kyogo, I mean, he's always having having a, like a off-the-ball you know, somebody's putting the elbow in or giving a wee dunt. Um, hopefully that that's in the peripheral vision and we're getting a little bit of leniency. I don't know. But I mean, he's, uh, yeah, he's a master of shithousery and um, and God love him. Uh, yeah. And also, I mean, we haven't really, the quality of his finishing on Saturday was outrageous. And uh, in the commentary um, was, you know, the the the, the, the commentators were, Waxing lyrical about Tavernier's free kick, like and okay, fair enough, bit free kick, but um, dead balls you can practice them all day. You know what I mean? It's like this is something. This is a skill that you can work on. You cannot work at that kind of the ingenuity, the quickness of thinking, that spin that he does, to, to, and then slides it through. Unreal. Um, the the first goal is. I mean, the second is just he's alive when everybody else stops because everybody thinks his defender's going to put it out. That's great. The first goal is just genuine quality because it, it looks like he's never really got it under control at any point. And that then gives the defender maybe a little bit of a, you know, we can get this. But, do you know, the, it's a completely different type of goal. And I noticed that Jota had the, the Instagram thing after with the, the Larson finish. Mm. I thought the Kyogo one, his first goal just in terms of the way that he has to manoeuvre it, it reminded me a lot of, do you remember Larson scored the the volley when it was Craig Moore, when he controlled it and dropped the shoulder and then mm-hmm. kind of hit it? It reminded me of that in the sense that he's got so much work to do to actually get into a position to get a shot away and then to put that power behind the shot so that even though the goalkeeper gets a hand to it, I, I, I think it's one of those goals that you maybe don't appreciate it because it looks like touch finish, but he has to do so much work to get into a shooting position to then be as clinical and get as much power behind it as he needs to, because he's not got enough of a window that he can place it and just rely on that. He needs to put power through it. I thought it was I thought it was outstanding. Um, and again, I, th- I think it was maybe someone on the Cynic last week that had said that he scores every type of goal, and he really, really does. And it, his movement's exceptional. I thought Matt Riley did particularly well, but the touch and then just the wee delay to allow him to open up his body enough to get the power through it, I thought it was a great goal. It's one of those ones that... I think maybe over time people will appreciate the, the, the real quality that he puts into it to um, to fashion a, a, a shooting opportunity. I love the fact that, um, especially the, the Jota finish, that I don't think there was, I don't think Alan McGregor, McGregor could have got any more orange. Like he was wearing everything orange boots, tights underneath the, the shorts were orange. I mean, it was, it was tremendous, just the slow moving orange coming from the, the Rangers goal. But uh, Colin, there was a bit of criticism uh, Kyogo at the start of this season. Um, an impression that he wasn't firing all cylinders. He was he missed some chances in the Champions League. Um, uh, Christian and the, the rest of the weirdos were talking about finishing being random, and they're kind of it's just a case of he's, he's not a bad finisher. It's just that these things will happen. Does do you think there's any question marks over Kyogo anymore? Is it is it a case of we? We have something we know what we've got, and it's fucking amazing. Or do you, do you still have some question marks over him as a, as a Celtic striker? The 
the questions that are raised would probably only be just to try and put anybody that's looking at him off the scent because he he's a phenomenal striker. He um, has proven time and again, and in big games, I mean, the, the, I think the Champions League thing is the one thing that kind of we keep coming back to. Um, but he scored a golden Europe. I mean, I'm, I'm fairly sure you guys with the better brains and memories can uh, remind me, but and there was, when he first came in, he was going, scoring goals in Europe, uh, right? I mean, Leverkusen game? Yeah, uh, and, against the Hungarian team as well. If Ferris he scored the goal from Jota's assist. Ah, and it's like, so, I mean, we know he can do it. Uh, he went, he's, he's a wee bit off the boil, but yeah, he's... Um, He's, he's and he's and as Alan was saying, he scores all kinds of goals. Uh, goals. He scores screamers, tap-ins, headers, you name it. Um, if he can keep fit, I mean, <clears throat> when when we had when we lost him for a spell last season, we really I think we really felt it, and um, it was really down to a lot of people to sort of uh, pick up to sort of the gap. But I, I, I think if you have doubts about Kyogo, you're kind of kidding yourself or you've just got a wee chip in your shoulder or something because, uh, yeah, I think he's um, irreplaceable at the minute. Uh, Alan, one of the, the things that stood out to me was, and I put this into the group chat, about his position in being world class. And the the there would be a kind of like... Uh, Instinct from a forward when Mattarelli gets that ball, gets onto the end of it, I'm, I need to get to the, as close to the goal as possible. And what Kyogo does instead is backs off from the goal. He creates that angle for Mattarelli to find him. And as we said, world-class, first-touch, finish. Is, has he cemented a legacy at Celtic now, do you think? It, we talk about forwards probably, BL... After Larson, before Larson, is he is he in that kind of uh, pantheon? Do you think? I think he is, and um, I, I I think I agree. I think I, I was very critical of him during that period when we were in the Champions League group stages because I mean he was off the boil, and I think to be in that discussion of you know a a hero or a great or whatever, you know, let's not split hairs over wording, but to be one of the strikers that fans remember after you're gone. You've got to do it either in big European games or you've got to do it against Rangers. And Kyogo, in the space of three months, has shown that he has what it takes to score big goals against Rangers. The question will be next year when the Champions League rolls around again, was it a blip or is it maybe just that you know those chances are just a little bit harder to come by and you don't get the margin for error that you do in other games? Um, so that is a big question. But when you score in goals like this and you 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 know, 28 goals this season, that, that puts you into those discussions, you know, of the best since Larson. Um, and I think he is, you know, I think he is up there. I think his overall contribution as well is something that people are very aware of. Um, and he's still got, well, he's still got, what, 10 games, eight games, nine games left to go this season. Um, so he could easily hit 35, 36 goals, which would just be incredible for someone who probably isn't a natural finisher. Of all the guys that you've mentioned there, I think natural finisher Hugo isn't quite there, but because his movement and his position is exceptional and that he does what defenders don't want him to do and finds those little pockets of space, it just puts him into that area more often than not. And, you know, that's why he's top goal scorer. And you know, he's, I think, to be honest, he is probably a bit of a shoe in now for, for player of the year, I would think, even with eight or nine games still to go. Pointing to my the calendar. Not to not to Moritz Jens, which is the small picture at the top <laughs> corner, 
that would Hattie. be a, a left field shout. Um, <laughs> I think Rio Hadati is an exceptional shout, and I think he's probably there other thereabouts as well. But I think when it comes to voting, and if you you're you know over thirty goals, I think it makes it very difficult. It's that hierarchy of um, you know. I think I said earlier in the year that for fullbacks to win it, you need to do something really really special. When you've got a striker that scores thirty plus goals and you're on for a double potentially a treble, it's very hard to. Um, not vote for the striker with 30 plus goals. That's the unfair nature of football, I'm afraid, Graham. I have to call rank on that one. I th- though, having said that, there's going to be a wee quiz at the end of the pod and it's about players play of the year. Uh, well, one of them is about players play of the year. And in his time at Celtic, Henry Larson only won it once. Uh, which, do you, do you think when it comes to play of the year, was Colin, there's a, maybe a kind of like, uh, we expect it from the strikers to score goals, so they're kind of maybe not rated as highly when it comes to awards award season. Well, we love to we love to be unpredictable and be and pick the odd choice, and it's like, well, that's a bit obvious. So, well, and everybody will vote for him. So, I'll be I'll be a, a wild uh, a wild card and vote for somebody else, and then they realise that the wild card everybody's done had exactly the same thought process. <laughs> um, but yeah, and I also think that yeah, Kyogo's a great. Show. I mean, Hatati is. Uh, a hell of a lot younger, and um, I think the best is yet to come. And uh, I think we should crown Kyogo when he's doing like what he's doing, because I think to overlook that would be uh, virgin on criminal. Virgin on criminal. Alan? Strong, strong words. Strong words. <laughs> strong words from a odd man. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's uh, let's do something criminal, criminal and talk about Rangers a little bit. If, I, I want to get some kind of uh, schadenfreude and uh, where we're still on the board. Uh, they're going to be losing a lot of players. I think uh, a lot, uh, basically running out of contract alone, you've got Morelos, Kent, Hellander, uh, McGregor, Davis, Arfield, all going to be uh, running out of contract at the end of the season. They're probably going to keep McGregor because that's the kind of thing that they'll do. They're, they're moving in. After the weekend, why wouldn't you, Graham? <laughs> Exactly, yeah. I mean, you've spoken uh, frequently on the agenda, Alan, about how goalkeeper's the hardest kind of position to replace. It takes a lot of money. We spent good money. I, I think some some papers talking about five million for uh, Barkas uh, when we signed them. And uh, it's a hard position to get right. Rangers are now in a situation where not only do they need to get a first-choice goalkeeper in, they need to get a first-choice striker, which, again, is one of the hard positions to recruit for. What do you do? You even know what kind of striker they would? What is what is a Michael Beale striker? What does he look like? Like what kind of um, um, style of play is it? Because it's obviously not Cholak or whatever you call him. Like he's he's just a finisher. He can't do anything outside the box. What do you think they'll be looking for when it comes to a striker? And will they be shopping in the same kind of market for goalkeeper? Because obviously we're the kind of wisdom is that we need to be looking for a, a new number one, but we want a number one that's good with the ball. Do you think Rangers will be shopping in the same market for that? And what do you think the the kind of profile of a goal scorer they're going to be looking for? I think goalkeeper. I think probably will be. Yeah, probably looking for the same things, and that's what makes it the most difficult thing to do. I think most people are looking for the same things. Um, it used to be a little bit simpler, whereas I think now I think the what sets good goalkeepers apart from great goalkeepers is um that they can do more than the traditional goalkeepers. So I think you'll broadly be in the same market there. In terms of striker, I, I really don't know because they sign creative players and their first thought is for them to be 
defensive. You know, it's it, to me, it's a fundament, fundamentally defensive way of attacking, which is fine. Like, it's not as much. I don't think I need to prove how much I absolutely despise Rangers on here. There's a, a large body of podcasts which would attest mm-hmm. to that. But it's a it's a very defensive way of playing, and it, well, it's not for me. I mean, it's not because it's Rangers, but. I want creative players to be creative. Look, I love Dyson Maeda because he does the work going back, but he can do it going forward and he does mm-hmm. do it going forward. I feel like, you know, you look at Todd Cantwell's getting an exceptional amount of praise for his performance at the weekend. By and large, most of his work was to stop Celtic playing. That's a number 10, you know, that you're asking to do that. That's the way I've always grown up watching playing football is that you want to see creative players being creative and expressing themselves. If you can get one that works hard defensively, absolutely, and nobody should shut, but. It's a fundamentally defensive way of trying to to play, and I think it does feed off mistakes and trying to capitalise as opposed to create. So, in terms of a striker, I would assume it would be someone that would want to work a little bit harder, potentially hold up the ball, maybe offer a slight threat in behind. Um, but he picked that sounds expensive. It, it does, and they've got three different varieties of striker at the moment, and he's still sticking with. Um, the kind of short squat one um, for the most part which is fine they could have opted for you know a threat in behind or they could have opted for somebody a bit more dynamic and show like at the weekend but they didn't so um, I think there'll be a lot more movement out the door than probably a couple but in terms of what he wants I really don't know and you know he talks about bringing five or six in we know how hard that is to actually do that and, and, and do it on a budget it's a lot of business to do so um, but thankfully, they, they don't have any concerns over money, which um, Michael Beale told us about last week. So they've got an, a blank checkbook to go and sign who they like. So aye. It's, it's a good tactic to tell people that they've got tons of money when you're, you're negotiating. So I usually do when I walk into a shop, Graham. I usually tell the person <laughs> that money is no object to me, but I need your most expensive <laughs> items. Yeah, yeah, it's a good tactic. I, I love the idea. Obviously, Morelos has been linked with uh, Sevilla. And I just like the image of him sitting like Winnie the Pooh with his full hand and a, a jar of marmalade made from Seville oranges. I mean, you can just see it all over his face. It's going to be, it's going to be awesome. Uh, let's move on from talk, talking about Rangers. We have the story from Rod Stewart that he has got a Glasgow Celtic tattoo when uh, he's in tour in New Zealand at the moment. His 78-year-old has revealed that he's going to get a Celtic Glasgow tattoo. A Glasgow Celtic, sorry, he's not German. A tattoo uh, after the win. Where on, um, Colin, where in his 78-year-old puckered leather-like uh, skin do you think he will have got this tattoo? See, I was thanking you for not putting me in the mentality already. Just found earlier, now you're making me imagine Rod Stewart's wrinkled body. <laughs> uh, so cheers for that. Um, I want to see, uh, I mean, I think the only correct answer would be uh, an entire chest plate kind of mm. full so he can rip, rip open his shirt at the end of a, end of another storming set and show everybody his, uh, his not problematic love for Celtic Glasgow, Glasgow Celtic. <laughs> and Alan, what, speaking of tattoos, Matt O'Reilly's got the, the barbed wire. What, what do you think the story is behind that? Just make one, make a story up for us, please. I think it's because he's hard as nails and he just <laughs> wants people to, to see that he's done time inside. Um, mm. So that's maybe why he's had a bit of a tough season because it's three to six months development time was missed whilst he served time for, I mean, let's face it, if it's a white collar crime, wouldn't it? If it's Matt O'Reilly, nothing, he's not getting his hands dirty. 
So, I think it's I think it's because he likes uh, the hard rock and roll music, <laughs> uh, as opposed to most football players. He he rocks up to practice listening to ACDC and Def Leppard, apparently. I think just just on Matt O'Reilly at the game, I was quite critical of him, and it felt like the crowd was getting on his back. But when I rewatched it, I thought he was actually quite impactful in the game, which is. Maybe just a wee bit of my own bias coming in here because I have been really critical of him re- um, recently about not taking his chance. But it was better on the rewatch than he, it felt like he was at the stadium and he was quite impactful. I know that he kind of dived in a little bit to give away a, a cheap foul. But other than that, he, he did do well. But I think still a lot more you want to see from O'Reilly, those kind of heights that he's hit. But it's a, I think that's a good start. And I think there was a big vote of confidence in Angie even after he'd been booked. To keep him on for that full time, that that shows a lot of trust, especially a game like that when there's a lot of niggly fouls. Um, a big vote of confidence there from from Ange from Matt O'Reilly, I think. See, this is what I love about Alan. He can make a a decent answer of a nonsense question about bad bar tattoos. I mean, that's that's why you get paid the big bucks, Alan. <laughs> uh, no, I I agree. I think uh, obviously to touch a class for the for setting up the goal, but I think his off the ball work was 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 definitely the kind of main advantage of having them in there. Uh, we're going to move on to, to a little quiz. As I said before, I, I tried to do this the time that I was hosting with uh, Alan Kieran. I did some of the questions with Alan. He 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 was up against himself and he beat himself. Uh, let's just uh, leave it. As an expression, yeah, he beat himself for a good a good few minutes. Uh, but now he's got competition with Colin here. So the the, 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 con- <laughs> <laughs> the concept of this is that I give you a situation and you need to tell me how many answers you can give me to that particular situation. So you bid against each other. So for example, I say player of this player of the years since 1977 and Alan would maybe say, I can give you 12 of those. Or, or Colin says, well, you, you give me the 12 or you say, I'll bid 13. This this is uh, sounds like a variation in Paul Carlin's top 40 crap out. Um, <laughs> which is a game where, which has been designed by him to be played by him to be won by him mm-hmm. because he's got one of those kind of brains where he's like, so if it's the the police and you say, I can name 10 police top 40 hits in the UK. And if you get the 10, you get 10 points. But if you don't, yada, yada. So uh, I blame you for bringing up a quiz and I'm blaming Paul for <laughs> uh, perpetuating <laughs> the concept. Yeah. But there'll be no police. There'll be no police questions because A C A B. Am I right? Absolutely. <laughs> so we're going to start with that players' player of the year. So the the competition started in 1977. There's been 23 Celtic winners in in that time. Um, Alan, I'll come to you first. How many of those 23 do you think you can you can give us? Um, seven. Seven. So Alan starts with seven. Colin, do you want him to give you the seven, or are you going to big? Are you going to bid bigger than that? <laughs> uh, so let's see. Seven, twenty-three years. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to. Can can I outbid him and just say eight? You can outbid him with eight. Just for uh, lols. Hey, Alan, are you going to? Are you going to accept that eight, or are you going to go higher? Oh no, you could crack on, Colin. Right, Colin. Uh, you it was to... a tactic to go low. <laughs> Colin, you need to uh, now name eight players player of the year, Celtic players uh, from 1977. There's been 23 of them. You've got eight to go for. Let's go for it. Okay. I, and do I instantly hit the skids if I, I'm wrong? Or do yeah. I just need... oh, if, great. if you get one wrong, it's a point to Alan. Okay, so Henrik Larsson, 
Okay, I gave you that one earlier, but okay, right? Uh, well, you know, I'm not completely asleep. <laughs> um, Paul McStay. Paul McStay is on the list, is he? Uh, yes, he's on the list, yeah. Um, let's see. Um, surely Scott Brown's got to be in there somewhere. Scott Brown is on the list as well, one at once. Um, Maravchik. Maravchik is... Not on the list. So it's a oh, point to criminality again. <laughs> it's a point to Alan. I'm just checking to make sure that he's definitely not. Yeah, he's not on the list. So that's a point to Alan. You could have had Carl McGregor, Lee Griffiths, Emilio Izaguirre, uh, James Forrest, Stephen Johansson, Aidan McGeady, Chris Commons, Nakamura, Sinclair, Mulgrew, Maloney, Hartson Sutton, Viduka, Jackie McNamara, Paolo Di Canio, Paul Elliott, Brian, <laughs> Brian McClare, Charlie Nicholas, and David Proven, which obviously you, Alan knew all of those uh, players. So, yep. Okay, good. Uh, this is one that I gave Alan the last time, but I'm assuming he's going to have no memory of this. So, Colin, I'm going to go to you first. Uh, John Barnes made eight Celtic signings in his time. Eight signings. Uh, how many of those eight do you think you could name? I can't believe he made eight signings. Um, <laughs> I, oh God, that's so hard. I'll say two. So, so I think uh, Colin has taken your tactic, Alan, of going low. <laughs> hey, would you like to, him to name those two players or are you going to go higher? I think I'll try and go higher, shall I? So what, what number are you going to go for? I've got the ticks from the last time. So I think the last time you mentioned four players. Right. So, Mm, yeah, let's go four then. I don't want to be too ambitious. I probably still might have pigs either, by the way. Colin, do you want to go five? <laughs> Fuck no. <laughs> right. I, should have, I should have acted with some sort of confidence. <laughs> Alan, it's on you. Four four right. players at John Barnsley. Uh, Stan Petrov. Stan Petrov, yep. Uh, Dimitri Karin. Dimitri Karin. You never got that one the last time, so there's a chance oh. for you to get five here. <laughs> what, what's happened there, Graham? Is I've pushed one in, which means at least three have fallen out. Um, Ayo Berkovic. Ayo Berkovic. And on the, the Wikipedia, it says we signed him for eight million euros, which I'm surely not. Um, Mark Viduka. Mark Viduka was a Joe Venglas signing. Joe Venglas. Was he? Um, I, I was not that's your your your, your pumped. You, you lost. You gave me a wrong oh, answer. Oh, is that it? Oh, that's quite nice. That well, that's, 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 <laughs> that's funny because uh, Vidika was going to be my first punt. So there we go. Uh, <laughs> that's I, handy. I, At least it's a it's a Celtic player that's slipped out of my memory, as opposed to like my bank pin number or something. So that's <laughs> every every cloud. I think I mentioned the last time, but Joe Venglis goes down as having one of the best signing records because I think it was Viduka, Maravchik, Mialbe, and Vida Rusev he signed. Mm. So he got three absolute ballers out of four and then Vida Rusev. Uh, so he could have could have gone for Raphael Scheidt, um, Oliver Tebele, Paul Shields, Ian Wright, which he got the last time, uh, Stefan Bonds, Huddleboard legend, Stefan Bonds, and Dimitri Karin, as you got. Okay, back to you. Uh, Alan, actually, because uh, Colin gave you that one. Not good. <laughs> Let's, okay, I'm going to go for two more. We did Champions League goal scorers the last time, so I'm not going to go for that. I'm going to go for nationalities 
in the Celtic team at the moment. There's in the first team there's currently fifteen nationalities, fifteen different nationalities. Oh. How many of those nationalities do you think you can? Name? I'm gonna go Fuck it. Eleven. Eleven? <laughs> Are you going to go 12 or higher? Um, I'm just trying to think if I know 12 countries. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, I'll go 12. I'll go 12. Come on. Okay. Alan, 13 or higher? Nah. Hermetical. All right. Here we go. 12 nationalities in this current, current Celtic first team men's squad. Okay. Scotland. Okay. England. Starting off with the difficult ones here. Yeah. Come on, there's a lot to get through. Uh, Australia. Australia, yeah. Argentina. Argentina, yeah. Macedonia. Macedonia? Who's a Macedonian? Uh, no, um, yeah, um, Haxa Banovich. Montenegro. Montenegro. Oh, Mont- oh. Alan gets the point for doing oh. absolutely nothing. The fall of the Soviet Union once again has. Um, <laughs> Has perplexed someone once again. Oh. Scotland's uh, Scotland's troublesome over the years. Of course, does, and now it's come back and it's come full circle, and the, the glory is mine. Alexander the Great, yeah. calling the not so great. <laughs> I'm actually quite embarrassed for that. <laughs> it's, I, I mean, it's, they both start no. with M and they're both tiny. So I mean, you can. But yeah. Right, final one, and it goes to Colin to get to bid first. This is the hardest one. It is the 12 players that got on the pitch in the 1970 European Cup final against Feyenoord. 12 players got on the pitch. So obviously your first 11 in a sub. Colin, how many can you name? I mean, contrary to popular belief, I wasn't alive. So <laughs> um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say four. Four. Okay, Colin, start with four. Alan, do you want to? <laughs> do you want to go higher than four, or do you yeah, want to leave I'll, I'll go. I'll go for. Uh, well, there's no point in going any much higher, is there? There's, there's no benefit. You could blow him out the water. You could say seven, and Colin will not go above that, or you can. Nah, I think I'll, I'll play tactical here. And just go five. Price five from it. Alan. Uh, Colin, you going to go six? No, no, five for Alan. Okay, five for the European. A cup final team 1970 go for it Alan I know I'll, I'll definitely get one wrong here but here goes um, Clark Clark it's the point to, it's the point to go on oh you're fucking kidding you're at it <laughs> so I wrote this down a while ago I've got Williams Hay Gemmell Murdoch McNeil Brogan Johnson Wallace Hughes Old Lennox and George Connolly off the bench and get at least seven of those names written down as well. And the one that I pick first is, <laughs> is Clark. So there you are. So I think confidence has been my undoing. Two each. <laughs> the game finishes two each. I don't even have one to do as I can have. But, but we'll just, I think quizzing was the real winner there, Colin. What do you, what do you reckon? Well, I, I just um, think that I had a moral victory and uh, Alan, I mean, Alan, Alan should be ashamed of himself, basically, uh, for just drawing with me, because I think that's the best result I've had in any Senate quiz. So, <laughs> uh, I, I think he's he's got something there, uh, Alan, but he also did uh, confuse Macedonia with Montenegro. Do you have any final comments about the quiz? <laughs> well, on the next one, I, um, 
hopefully I'll not be here for it, which would be <laughs> ideal. But um, I, I think the real winner there is anyone who criticises the cynic. I think they are the real winners there. <laughs> I think I think this is the, uh, if you ever listen to uh, Adam Buxton's podcast and he does his wee thing at the end, he goes like, "Thanks for everybody that's listened right to the end, you're the end." Thanks, everyone, for still being here after that absolute car crash. I've just Cheers. gone into the, the Champions League, the UEFA.com Champions League website to make sure that Clark was not in the, the team, and he wasn't. So there we go. Official. Thanks, John. <laughs> <laughs> that has been your agenda. Uh, I just want to mention before uh, we go about the live event coming up. So I uh, need to find the de- Alan, uh, Alan, do you know the details for that while I try and find them quickly? Any, any chance you know? It's the weddings, Wednesday before the big semi-final that Rangers are going to be better than. That's, That's just it. as much. So, yeah. no. It's at Blackfriars Basement. Blackfriars Basement and I'll be there. I'll have a couple of beers and hopefully people will come and we'll all have a couple of beers and laugh at Rangers and then immediately do a U-turn and be quite nervous, but we'll have a good bit of fun and we're going to look back in a couple of old games. So um, aye, it's, it'll, be, it'll be a smashing night, so we're looking forward to it. I imagine you like that meme of the wee boy uh, when he's asked a question, but if you're on it, he starts laughing and then goes into crying at the end of it. That's, that's... that's about right. Aye. <laughs> a Wednesday night before, it'll be just before the proper nerves hit, but that's a bigger game because, let's face it, there wasn't really too much jeopardy on Saturday. So, aye, it'll be nice to sit and uh, talk Celtic memories with, with Gal and Barry. I look forward to it a lot. So that is the 26th of April at Blackfriars Bar. Um, I, I, I think you must miss the chance of doing it on like the, the Friday night, just having it as a kind of like normal Cynic Chronicles going into the more drinking, going into the revs, going into staying up all night and going straight to the game. I think that could have been something. I don't know if it's a great situation for pacing yourself. I think uh, Wednesday <laughs> before gives you enough time to get up and get a ball up and down. It's like a free kick from you know 25 yards, enough space to get up and down. If it's a Friday night, it's right in the edge of the box and you'd bar a sitch and fuck it right over the bar. So yeah. <laughs> There always is that. Are people going to get the chance to meet and greet you afterwards? Are you going to give them the time to talk to you? Obviously, your illustrious podcast, um, Royalty, if you excuse the use of I may just be standing about the Merchant City looking like an asshole waiting for people to come and approach me. So um, so probably not, no. I, no, it'll be a good <laughs> night. I look forward to it. All the live events we've done before are always a good laugh and a good couple of beers and it's a good way to spend the night. So um, I, I look forward to seeing folk there. It'll be good fun. Colin, this has been a fun experience. So it's been an absolute pleasure. What have you got uh, planned for the rest of your Monday? Uh, probably a bit of video games and just um, try not to think about going back to work tomorrow. I've been your host, Grim McKay, and this has been the agenda. We will catch you down the road. <laughs> <laughs>